Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you're doing well and we're excited that you're here. So thank you so much for sharing this little bit of time. Hopefully we can help you and give you some value to really get you some practical things and useful things to implement straight away onto the course or on the driving range to help you with your game. And we are delighted today. We've got a very special guest. We've got Kerrod Gray. Kerrod is one of Australia's leading golf instructors and an industry-awarded PGA professional and the spearhead of a new generation of coaches. Now, Kerrod is a student of the game, constantly researching and learning, and his desire to further his knowledge has led him to gain world-recognized certifications and travel the globe, shadowing some of the top teachers in the game. His philosophy is to strive to ignite enthusiasm and excitement in all his students with helping them have more fun, improve their game, and maximize their potential using his holistic approach. I'm sure you're all ready for some more of that. I really enjoyed this podcast. We go into so many things with Kerrod. He shares some great words and phrases that we feel that you can really take on board and implement into your game. We talk about some of the keys to consistency, quote unquote. We talk about how to get the most out of your practice on and off the golf course. We talk about things that you can really do in terms of wins on the golf course from putting. So much more that we really feel that you can implement that will have a great effect on your game. Now, if you enjoy this, then make sure you screenshot this, tag us and Carrot in. And also don't forget to leave us a rating or review over on iTunes. But without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Carrot Gray. Okay, Carrot, welcome to the podcast. How are you, mate? You okay? Fellas, absolutely pumped to be here and looking forward to, to sharing some wisdom and hopefully helping the, the players at home while they're sitting back and thinking and pondering about their games and how they can get better. Brilliant. Well, we're going to kick it off with probably the most important question in golf. And I'm sure you he- hear this a lot. We hear it every time a new golfer comes to us. I want to be more consistent. I just want to be consistent. How? <laughs> it's a big question. When it comes to consistency... Where should golfers start to look when it comes to sort of analyzing their own game um, and looking for improvements? Okay, so I'm going to take this one down a bit of a different route, right? And I think it's good to, first of all, like get the management of expectations down pat before we even talk about consistency. Because most recreational golfers have this fairy tale viewpoint of what a professional golfer does. They're expecting them to hole every putt as soon as they get on the green, shell it perfectly down the center of the fairway, nail every pin. But the reality is very far from that. And I suppose the best way to think about what it is like if you were to watch a professional go and play in real life, so the recreational golfer is able to manage their expectations about consistency, is if you were to watch a highlight package of baseball, for example, you would see every single hitter hitting a home run. You'd go, oh my God, this game is easy. But we know even a professional at that level, hardly ever, be it that obviously the ball is flying through the air considerably faster than normal, as I would throw it, but it's all relative, right? Um, We know the game is very different from that. And that's the same thing with professionals. They're holding 50% of putts from eight feet. They're hitting 60 to 70% of fairways and greens, and they're in the bush a lot more than what we think. And, and one of the best stories that I've heard is um, Phil Mickelson was asked about why he was always, uh, his thoughts on driving accuracy the week before a tournament and paraphrasing this, but he said, um, have you seen my career highlight reel? It's all out of the bush. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think that sets the tone for consistency. Um, but when it comes to improving a golf game, I think it comes down to having an understanding of it's all about managing compensations and inefficiencies, right? So let's say you have a perfect golf swing, which there isn't, but let's say there was 
every single time, Iron Byron hit the center of the cop face exactly where you wanted the ball to go. And then you've got a rank beginner. They would have, let's say, numerous inefficiencies in the golf swing, which required compensations. Now, the beginner golfer has considerably more of those inefficiencies than the professional. So the reason they're inconsistent is because they're trying to manage all these at the same time. And how often you get a player coming in, they're like, okay, look, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my putting. I'm pretty happy with the chipping, which <coughs> us on this call know that that's not so much. <laughs> and then they go, I just want to be a little bit more consistent. I, I can hit a shot perfectly once in a while. And I just want to do that a little bit more often. And then I just say to them, I say, well, that's the reason you're here, right? Is that you want to get a little bit more consistent at the thing that you're struggling with at the moment. And the reason you are struggling is because there's too many inefficiencies in golf swing. So in the fact that us three, we're putting out content on the web to help players as much as possible, there is no golden ticket. There is no perfect solution that you're just able to plug into your golf game by putting a little bit more pressure in your left pinky toe and then shelling it out of the center of the, the center of the club face. So consistency is the myth. What I would like to say is that you're improving the range of your shots. So your good shots and your bad shots are getting closer to the pin, right? You're always going to hit bad shots. You guys teach professionals. When you're working on a movement pattern with a professional, they can top it, they can shank it, they can do everything in between. But their expectations, right? They know it's an integral part of improving their golf swing. And I think as coaches, it is our job and to educate the masses that the improvement process is very much like learning a new song on an instrument. It's to level up your skills, to get better, to, to perform something that would be of a uh, more impressive level. You're going to have to suck at the beginning. And that's think, just, that's just yeah. part of it. I think what you've said there is perfect, really. The way of summing up is really good. And I think that when we talk about patience as well amongst amateur golfers, I mean, we're all impatient when it comes to golf. We all want to get better quickly. But I think you see a lot of occasions where amateur golfers are on the right route, but perhaps don't feel that, as you said, because of expectations, they're not able to improve as quick as they think they should be improving. And then they actually bin it and then go on to the next thing and then bin that and then go on Correct. to the next thing. And that obviously is this vicious circle then of just trying lots of different things and just not really knowing where they're going. Yeah, that bin gets pretty full quick, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, yeah, let's, let's so, that's the consistency question, Andy, which is probably the biggest one that we get. The next one is, how do you stop my slice? Now, if we think about golfers, a lot of obviously predominant ball flight that we see is going to be that slice. We asked this question a little bit of, of, of top coaching. We thought we'd ask you this one as well. What are the top three things that you see that could help people stop their slice? Okay, understanding that the ball is curving away from the direction of the path, uh, getting them to build some awareness of what it's like to have a closed club face relative to their swing direction and educating them on what an impact position in regards to where the club face and the path or that section through the bottom of the swing should be looking like. Mm. Um, I would find that a lot of players just simply don't know from a conceptual level of what that even is. So they might be trying to fix a slice, but the subconscious pattern in their brain is telling them to attack a ball from the top of their swing as fast as they can with a spearing motion, a lightning rod coming in, rather than a better understanding of how the golf swing is actually designed 
or the golf club is designed to come into the ball and what causes the ball to curve. So there's a multitude of ways you could look to fix the slice, but I think it boils down to if they have a huge or a great understanding of the importance of the club face and you just build awareness of that at impact for them, hitting small shots with the club face really closed, club face really open, even though it looks funky. Even in that process, you might find that as a coach, and we're all guilty of it, sometimes you make these assumptions that players know a lot more than what they do. Sometimes, how often do you get it in a lesson and they think the, the, uh, the part of the golf club that they need to line up is the top part. Mm. And it's on a completely different angle and they're setting up with it really closed and you just ask them about it and they go, yeah, I'm just looking at that top part to try and line it up, not the leading edge at all. So basic assumptions like that, building some concepts and ideas and then to eradicate their slice, well, get the golf club as close as possible at address get them to hit it around their left ankle from the right hander and then give them an understanding that the swing direction needs to be shifted to allow that ball to have some water of straight curvature, uh, straight ball play. So, so from your experience as well, Carrot, because it's a good topic of discussion, I think this is that how many people do you, do you feel are actually focusing and creating any awareness on club face as opposed to other things when it comes to fixing say, the slice? Yeah, I would say, uh, 100% of golfers that aren't fixing their slice are focusing on the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, and they're focusing more on the, they're focusing, again, from our experience, most of them are looking at the compensations or the symptoms of what's causing the issue. And I think this, I think for the, for the listeners to this, if they've got a, an issue, maybe it's a slice, maybe it's a hook, whatever it is, they tend to look at the bigger movements. They tend to look at the, the symptoms of what's going on instead of really having any awareness of, well, how do I actually get the opposite to what's going on, which is creating a, an awareness of the face. And I think it's, it's such an important topic that the yeah. golfers still aren't necessarily tuning into. And I think because it's such a small visual aspect, it's actually quite hard to see within the golf swing. They tend to sort of yeah, doesn't jump out to them. Does it, it doesn't jump out to them. Um, but I think if they can have that more awareness on that and start to train that, I think they'd see some huge benefits. And then as we know, you get the face in a different place that it causes a knock on effect and influences other movements and the body starts to sort of get involved then a little, a little bit differently but i think for the for the people who are slicing it out there it's a great starting point isn't it yeah uh, just two things to add um face and place is a good little rap song i thought you were about to start there and secondly <laughs> that, when, when it when it comes to players improving they need to exaggerate it 100x of what they think so if they're slicing the golf ball a little bit let's say it's a fade, for them to, over a period of time, begin to actually straighten that out, they, most players go about it by trying to hit a straight shot. And we need to get them duck hooking it so then we can trap it back to being straight. And as we were talking about before, it's more about getting players to stick with that change long enough, not hit a duck hook, look at that and go, oh, no, that's bad. I want it to go straight. So then before they know it, they're playing ping pong back and forth with their swing changes mm. and they're actually never nailing down the center of what they should be doing. Uh, if there was a slicer coming and they're working by themselves at home, I would get them to go to the range if they didn't mind bruising their ego a little bit, set up with a, a closed club face at the beginning and hit every single ball in the bush. And then the next day, keep doing the same thing, keep doing the same thing, keep doing the same thing. And then eventually when they get comfortable seeing a club face closed, we'll then try and work the path as far to the right. And it's amazing how close you can have a face and how right you can swing and the ball to go straight. But 
for a slicer of the golf ball with the angle of their delivery, that just seems so far removed from what they're doing. They assume it's wrong, mm. but they actually need to move into that point of discomfort to level themselves out back in the direction where they actually need to head. Well, that, that, I think the thing you said there was the ego as well. That, you know, Are they capable of going to the driving range and hit that many bad shots? Because every time they hit a bad shot, they may think, well, that's a waste of money. I've just wasted money on that golf ball because I've hit it into the, I've duck hooked it into the trees. Whereas we do know, and look, this is where it works great in a lesson because you can actually say, no, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this for 10 minutes. Like you said, 100 reps, whatever it takes. We're going to show you how to hook that golf ball. But I think anyone listening to this who wants to go and stop their slice, this is exactly what they need to do. They need to get to the driving range and they need to, like you say, learn how to duck hook it and then go from there. I think, I think the great thing about that carrot as well is just giving them, you just give them permission to actually yes. do that. You've just set their expectations to go, actually, that's all right. If I want to, if I'm slicing it and I, I, I want to go through this phase, if they can experience both sides of the spectrum, then they're going to create this awareness of, of where that face is. And I think that's a, a key thing is just develop do to develop that awareness so they know, okay, well, that's producing the slice. This is producing the hook. I've got some reference points and feels that I can work with to then create something that's in between. So, yeah, all the if listeners to this, Kerry, just give them permission to go and hook it in the bush. There you go. Uh, yeah, and they'll give you the bill. Blame me. Blame me. <laughs> You've got the bill for the golf balls now. But yeah, it's, it's not as if <laughs> the duck hook isn't a bad shot. It's the required shot that we want. So that's the objective yeah. of, the, of the actual shot that we're trying to do. And, and okay, so ne next question for me would be, this, this could align a little bit to this, obviously, for a slicer. Obviously, we know that it will. But how important is a the backswing for amateur golfers, bearing in mind when we look on the best players in the world, whether it be PGA, LPGA, or whatever tour, top-level golfers, a lot of their backswings will often look different, obviously. But for an amateur golfer, how important would you say that backswing is? My perspective, incredibly important. I think um, the golf swing's done in under a second. The downswing's done in 0.25 of a second, right? Um, before we were talking about managing compensations and inefficiencies. And one of the best things a slicer of the golf ball, for example, could do is get as much depth, which meaning that the butt end of the golf club is getting as far away from the golf ball back and behind you as possible. Uh, and then ensuring that from that position, there's a, a reasonable sequence between the body, the arms and the club coming down towards the golf ball. So if you are trying to do a Matthew Wolf to the top of your back, so actually it's probably a better example. Let's say it's someone who lifts the handle really out and gets it really laid off. And you look at the best players in the world and you go, well, that guy's got that backswing. Like he can do that. Fury can do that. Wolf can do that. Maybe I just need to just work on that little bit of downswing. That 0.25 of a second, which I know I can be really conscious of every single time. <laughs> well, you, you, you want to get to a point where you can stand up on the first tee, um, no sleep, a few too many beers the night before, playing partners in your ear, and be able to put some sort of reasonable swing on it where you know the ball's going to go straight. And for a recreational golfer, it's not your job. You're not a thoroughbred. There's a reason that you're not on the PGA Tour. And there's a reason that you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. So from the top of the golf swing, if we can set you up to have a draw or a straight bias to your golf ball, well, that's the easiest way to go about it. So you're not having to consciously think about what you're doing every single swing. So, so it's safe to say really for, for the majority of golfers, it's, they should be starting, they should be starting first of all at the setup, checking that the setup's oh, really huge. helping them. Um, and then they should be moving through the, the, the almost the phases in the backswing 
because the earlier you change something, the easier it is, isn't it? If, you, if you're changing the setup, well, that makes it a lot easier. If you're changing the move away, it's a bit easier to change the move away than the transition because of the speed that you're going at, really. And most people, well, often are changing or trying to change the downswing because that's where they see a lot of the funky moves based on what's happened at the start. <laughs> so it's just really, it's just educating golfers to really look at it and, and set themselves up, I suppose, to create the downswing that's going to make it a little bit easier from from creating a good backswing, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And when yourselves and I do corporate clinics and we've got to go through a whole bunch of players in a short amount of time on a driving range, the majority of the fixes that we are doing are really from setup, ball position, um, alignment and backswing just to give them a better chance. So the round that they're about to go play in 10 minutes where they think they're trying to do a, get a Hail Mary golf tip to go out and play their best game. Uh, well, that is hidden among the attention to detail and the small aspects of the setup, which I think a lot of recreational golfers undervalue. Um, be it just getting your ball position and a little bit more rotation, even though it doesn't sound as sexy as maybe shallowing the, the club as much as you'd like from the top of the swing. Well, that could solve all your problems, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect, just a better delivery. The ball only cares what the club is doing at the moment of impact, not how good it looks. I think it's amazing when we get, when we get a student to us, and I'm sure you're the same, and you're giving them a lesson and they go away and go, I didn't really think it was going to be that simple because they're, they're making it so more complicated, much more complicated than it needs to be. And you're like, well, actually, if we just shift your ball position or we just actually create a little bit more pivot with the hips on the way back, and they go, really, is, is it that all I need to think about? They're trying to flex the lead wrist and shallow the club and shift the pressure and all, and all this stuff. Keeping it simple is, is just such an important part. Um, I've got a question for you. One of the most important things um in golf is striking your irons pretty solid really really key to lowering your scores and it's something that not only is really important but it feels great amateur golfers are always looking to get that that ball followed by the turf for the listeners to this who struggle with that consistency what should they let's say they go to the range and they're filming their golf swing and they're looking at they're analyzing their own game what what things should they be paying attention to when it comes to looking at their golf swing um, that's going to influence that striking is solid. Yeah, so the three fundamentals of golf, uh, impact, speed, and control. So impact being uh, having a reasonable strike of the golf ball on the club face and so not too far on the heel or the toe and having some control over the low point of the golf swing, which is essentially the bottom of the arc. So if you could imagine uh, that the golf club descends with your best, your favorite player that you watch on TV, it goes down into the ground, which creates the divot. And the very bottom of that divot before the club rises, that is what's called the low point. And what we see with the professional golfer is that on average, it's about four inches in front, which is considerably further than what most players assume. Uh, most recreational golfers, I think they did a study and there was 30 million people in this study was about two inches behind. So if you think about a six inch subway, that's a heck of a long way to get to that bottom <laughs> of that swing forward, right? That's a so, lot of meatballs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So once again, it comes back to, to concept and understanding that, okay, it doesn't need to be that far forward. Um, now, an error that I see with a lot of players is they try and manipulate artificially in their address position. So they'll put the ball outside their back foot, go, I'm going to get this so down. I'm going to get compression and sharp lean. And your body reacts in so many different subconscious, subconscious manners uh, to ensure that that club's not going to snap in your hands as it hits the, hits the ground. So manipulating your setup in such a way to get 
that compression and get the ball first contact is not always the best way. Uh, a little adjustment here or there, but nothing outrageous. Uh, my, my recommendation would be number one, don't even look at the video to start off with. I would actually, if you're hitting on grass or a mat, do very small swings and have a look at where your first point of contact is hitting the ground. Now, preferably if you were doing this on, maybe not over there in the UK with all the rain, but in Australia on our beautiful grass ranges, right? <laughs> Seeing where the club is brushing the jealous. ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now don't go outrageous and start taking big fillets and getting the greenkeepers peeved off. But if you can go make little half swings, so hip height to hip height, and look where the first point of contact of that club hitting the turf is. And this comes back into something I preach all the time to players is about making realistic rehearsals, right? So let's say I'm going to play a guitar song in a performance, which I do not play guitar at all, but I'm going to every single night before that performance rehearse exactly what I wanna do in the performance. I'm not gonna try and do something way out of left field. I'll play the piano in advance. So when I actually get to that point, I've rehearsed what I want to perform and I've got a greater likelihood of actually executing it. So you'll see that the professional golfer makes such intentional rehearsals around what they're about to do. Their attention to detail to the small things is why they turn good to great. Most amateur golfers neglect the small things. They don't pay enough attention to the detail. And when they're having their practice swings, you'll see it all the time. Let's say they'll have a swing and the club will hit about three foot behind. There'll be a big chunk of dirt on their face and they'll walk in, they'll miss hit it. And they go, what happened there? And you go, well, you just rehearsed the worst shot in golf. <laughs> so just having some, having some practice rings and actually working on striking the ground in front is, is, is key. But then once you've done that, actually filming the moment you do that, right? And if you've got an old video where you weren't doing that, look at them, put them side by side. There's a great analysis software out there. You can look at both of these videos side by side. And what I would say is draw a line vertically up from the golf ball, right? and look at the mass of your body. So the majority of yourself, is it in front of that line or is it behind the line at the moment of impact? Now that's a huge oversimplification, but if we wanna play golf and we wanna project that ball in a forward direction to a target, which is four or 500 meters out in front of us, we don't wanna be falling on our back foot in an attempt to do so. So firstly, have a bit of an idea of where the club's striking the ground and then have an awareness of what it's like to get more weight or pressure on your front foot and get your body moving towards the target. Love it. I love it. Brilliant. So I'm, I've just, uh, I just moved around the back there, Kara, just to get some notes down here because there's some really good things. I'm, I'm, I want to summarize some of these key points at the end because there's some, I like the realistic rehearsals. That's an easy one to remember as well. So I think that's uh, something that we see all the time. Golfers having a practice swing that looks nothing like what they, what they actually should be, should be doing. So um, yeah, I think that's mm. a really good point. Yeah, I'll, I'll add like a little tidbit in there that will really help players around the green is when you watch a professional golfer next time on TV, and this is where you see it the most. Now, it's not necessarily from the fairway at 150 metres and a professional golfer is doing a realistic speed where they're taking a divot. They're looking for more so contact of the ground, right? But around the greens, what you'll see with a professional golfer is that they are rehearsing as close as possible to what they want to do. And that means the contact of the sole on the ground. They're getting a feeling of what the club is like to go through the grass. They're looking at the target. So they're visualizing the flight that they want while also having swings, which would be of a relative length and speed to the shot they're about to play. Mm -hmm. Far too often I'll see a recreational step up on a 10 meter pitch shot and make a full swing. 
missed the ground yeah. and then hit it over the back of the green and go, oh, but ball position must have been off. Well, it could have been. <laughs> but if you spend a little bit more time looking at your rehearsal and actually struck the ground in the right spot, well, then you've probably got a far greater likelihood of actually executing what you want to do. I think that's, I think that's, yeah, I think that's brilliant as well because obviously short game, there's a few more variables that come into it that you need to actually mm. tune into as opposed to hitting a seven iron from 150. Um, I think there's a great example. We use that all the time. And we sort of, if we ever want to show somebody, we show Tiger Woods on the 16th chipping in at the Masters because that's a great example of how tuned in he was to to almost imagining the ball flight. You could see him feeling his hands producing the shot and then he executed it. And it was just like a, a masterclass in what you just said, really. So, And I think it's definitely more sort of poignant than when you talk about it on the short game as well. Definitely see that so much more. Hi everyone, Andy here, just letting you know about something that we've created just for you. MeAndMyGolf.com is our membership platform that we believe is the best resource out there to improve your golf. And one of the questions that we get asked all the time is what's the difference between YouTube and the website? And the main difference being is that sometimes people can get lost in content on YouTube and not really having a clear structure or plan of where to go. So we wanted to create something that was, was really going to help golfers. We've got over a thousand uh, coaching videos on there, but our main thing or main feature on there are the coaching plans. And we've seen some amazing results from these plans. And these are basically carefully designed plans on all areas of the game, so you don't have to think or worry about what to do. We tell you exactly what to practice each week and whether you're looking to break a certain score, fix a slice, improve your putting or short game, we have a plan that will suit you. We're even staggered at some of the results that golfers are getting from these as well. And we even have a private Facebook group where all of our members go and share experiences and support each other. Real nice place, positive place to be. And we'd love to see you over there and have the chance to help you with your game. So make sure you head over to meandmygolf.com and check out your free trial with no obligations to join. Check it out and see if you can find a plan and become a part of this amazing community. Okay, so we move into the game, Pierce? We've got some good ones here. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so... Um... What would you say is the biggest opportunity out there that is being overlooked by golfers when they're playing, when they're on the golf course? What do you think is the biggest opportunity that they're overlooking? When they're playing on the course? Yeah. Biggest opportunity they're overlooking is... How they, on how they can improve the way that they play. So it's not so much on the technique, just on how they can improve the way that they play. Yeah. Okay, um, so I'm going to go straight down the strategy route and I'm going to say get an understanding of the average of your golf clubs, not the potential, and that there is a reason that <laughs> golf course designers put bunkers at the beginning or the front of the green. <laughs> if you look at all bunkers, where are they? The majority of them at the front, right? Mm. So especially if it's not a really well-designed golf course from a famous architect and it's not from a visual, visual perspective, most of your uh, public golf courses, all the bunkers are going to be at the front. And that's because most players go and hit to the potential of how far a golf club can go, not the average. Now, when you misstrike a golf ball, even as a professional, you're probably going to lose 10 to 15% of distance. So, Professionals little... misstrike a golf ball, did you say then? <laughs> Apparently not. They <laughs> <laughs> should have seen me play today. Uh, so... When, when players are hitting into a green, let's say that everyone thinks they hit their 750 yards or meters, right? That's the, the stock. We all believe we hit at 150 with our 79. Now, hitting into a green, if you're going to lose 10 to 15% of that distance, that's all of a sudden 135. Now, 135 is nowhere near 150, right? So 
there's a, a really good strategy that you can employ. And I want everyone listening to do this is next time you grab your laser or your GPS, look at the number at the back of the green, ignore the pin, ignore the center, ignore the front. And I challenge you to go out and play a whole round of golf, aiming to hit the back of the green with the potential of the club that you know could get there. So let's say it's 150 to the back. Well, great, use your seven iron. Go flush it onto the back edge and then write me a note and complain that you hit everything on the back edge. <laughs> Maybe you had a 15 foot putt for birdie rather than being plugged <laughs> in the face of the bunker because you slightly mishit your eight iron. So when it, when it comes to going to the green, a lot of the way that you approach the shot from a mental and strategy standpoint is so incredibly important. Uh, don't play to your potential. Your average is far less than what you think. Just a, just a quick one on that, Kerry, as well. But now when we say potential, sometimes the potential is the <laughs> shot that was hit, that one day downhill downwind in the middle of July for England, obviously, in the summer, and it's bouncing and running 30 yards on top of that. So sometimes the potential has got 20 yards on top of it. <laughs> the true yeah, potential. You should, have seen the four, I need. you should have seen the 400-meter drive I hit today. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but carry on. I think that's, yeah, that, that happens so much, obviously. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So um, there's a lot of great statistical apps that, out there that you can use, but but what we see uh, time and time again is that if you're going to employ little mental strategies like um, how you approach your shots into the green, aiming to hit the back of the green, because if you simply just charted how many times you miss it short relative to long over the last 100 games, you would be shocked at how often you leave that golf ball short. Now, everyone seems to remember for some reason the one time it does go long, and then they go, oh, it's better to be short. I think, I think the assumption is, is that you're trying to make your way up to the hole. But if you look at what's over the back of the green, majority of the time, it's not nearly as detrimental to being short. And it all boils down to ego. Just accept that if you ignore whatever the number on the bottom of the club is, and just it's a golf club. It's not like you pick up a tennis racket and you try and hit a tennis racket as hard as you possibly can every single time. That's not how you win, right? Mm. So take a club with... Way less loft than you think. Don't try and murder it. Swing it smooth. If you miss hit it, the loft's going to help you get on the green. And if you flushed it, well, great. Take that confidence in that you know that you're hitting the golf ball well. But statistically, um, one of the most conservative golfers over the year, over the years on the PGA Tour was Tiger Woods, right? So if you look at Tiger Woods' highlight reel, he's binning putts from all over the shop. <laughs> and how often do you go out and you hit a golf ball? And I did it today and you go, oh my God, that looks a mile away from the pin from 150 meters away, even though it's on the green, you get up there and it's like close. So you don't need to nail every pin, right? Get it somewhere near that big green flat surface and you've got a far better chance. And a lot of the time for recreational golfers, it's actually putting it more towards the back. And it's, it's so important that, I mean, this is going to be, it's tough. This is tough for people just because of the ego, as we know, um, to actually hit maybe two clubs or even three clubs more, which it could be mm. on an approach shot. doesn't feel that great. Um, but I suppose the one thing that they can do, if it does go far through the back of the green, they can brag how far it's gone, I suppose. Nobody brags about knocking it in the bunker, do they, short, to be honest. But I think... Just get a bit of tape and change the number on the bottom of the club. Yeah. <laughs> it was a night on... <laughs> exactly but i think it's you know go and do this on the golf course on your own test it out and you know when no it's probably a good thing to do on your own because if nobody else is out there your ego really doesn't matter it's only you then isn't it so over these next yeah. Yeah. weeks months you know go and test it out and, and just see especially in the uk here at the moment 
it's very, very wet at the moment. So there's, a, there's always a transition between summer and sort of winter where all of a sudden it's like the ball just does not bounce and roll. It's like wherever the ball lands, it stays. So all of a sudden now people are even more short because they're not really, you know, there's no, there's no bounce and roll on the shot. So I think it's a great exercise for people to do. Just to go and experiment. I mean, we tell people to go and aim for the middle of the greens, but I think that's another that's another great way of doing it because even aiming for the middle of the greens, they're probably still going to choose a club that's not quite suitable for that. They're still going to go with their potential over their actual average, which I think is just a, a great way to put it. So for sure, playing on the golf course, Kevin, as we said there by yourself is a really good way of improving the speed of what you learn. It was something I did a lot when I was younger, when I first started playing golf. I had no friends, obviously, but I wanted to play golf by myself because I knew that I could practice things on the golf course. How, how else can we speed up the learning process of playing the game for anyone listening? You mentioned, obviously, looking at the strategy. We've spoke a little bit about the technique. Is there anything else that we can do to speed up the skill level of the golfer? learning how to practice properly and efficiently and not just exercise bad habits. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a couple of great tips, right? So instead of going and getting that large ass bucket of balls, that's going to cost you $20, go get yourself a small bucket. And instead of raking and pulling like a clay pigeon shooter, you're going to have three or four practice swings before every single shot, mm -hmm. rehearsing exactly what you want to achieve. Now, if you haven't had a golf lesson before in person and you don't know what to work on with the game, my suggestion would be watch some base level setup posture grip videos. So it's very tangible and you know what you're looking for, which is very easy um, to video yourself. But that all boils down to having feedback. Now, feedback can be in the way of video. Um, I wouldn't always trust your friend to tell you. Uh, I would use your shadow, a mirror, anything like that. Uh, you go, of course, put objects in the way, but relative to the prescribed drill that you might have, if someone has given it to you, be it an online lesson or an in-person lesson, or if you're working on it by yourself, my advice is just do the, the setup stuff. Um, learning how to practice properly is the most important and the, the easiest way to fast track, fast track your uh, your progress. So get a small bucket or a large bucket, do five practice swings, three practice swings before you go and hit each shot. Now, the reason that's so important, right, is that when you are on the driving range, you're not looking for the outcome. The outcome is actually hidden within the process. So just using the, the technique advice that we're talking about, getting the low point of the first point of contact before in front of the line down on the ground. So you've got a feeling and awareness of where that club's striking. Now, the purpose of practicing when you're out there is to not hit that perfect shot straight off the bat, right? So you know that you can do that on occasion. If you actually want to improve, you need to go work on that in a very slow structured manner. The same way as if you'd learn a new song on the guitar, you don't pick up the guitar and just strum wildly and go, why doesn't it sound like I thought it was gonna sound? The process of improvement, even though we think about it in terms of learning a musical instrument is very intuitive. Most people neglect that when it comes to golf because they can occasionally hit a really, really nice golf shot. And they go, I just want to do that a little bit more consistent. Well, the reason you're inconsistent is because you are not going through this learning process the way that um, is going to be most beneficial for you. So get a, a small bucket over a large bucket, always start with putting, right? Before you go to the range. So if 50% of your shots are from within hundred meters, 
and you've got an hour to kill. You've got to go pick the kids up or you've got to go get some groceries for, for dinner, whatever it is. I would go immediately to the putting green and do two games. And there's a, a plethora of games out there that you could use. Um, so you've got an objective outcome of what you want to achieve. Don't just stand there, drop three balls, putt from 10 foot, get angry because you missed them all and then go, because that's, that's not beneficial at all. Uh, no, figure out what effective practice is. The best way to do that is actually gamifying. So you've got a specific task uh, and an outcome that you want to achieve. B, put 10 balls down from two foot and hold 10 in a row, right? That might take you two minutes one day and it might take you 20 minutes the next day. Now, if it takes you 20 minutes to perform that task, you need to do that more often. So it better be the first thing that you do when you go on practice. So go and do your putting first. Most of the time, there's not an accessible chipping facility around if you're just going to a driving range. But if there is, do a bit of chipping. Same sort of thing. Set up a couple of clubs where you can land the ball in and just work on trying to land the ball in or set up a gate where you want to try and get the ball as close to uh, touching the golf club as possible, like 10 metres away, lay some down on the green without actually going past it. Just set yourself a little outcome and a goal. Record the results so you can challenge yourself next time. That's why... Um, kids get addicted to games is because there's levels to what they're trying to do. They've met their challenge point. A challenge point is something where, for example, if are you guys good at table tennis at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so pretty good. So let's say I'm going to play you guys. That wouldn't be fun because you're going to kick my butt. But if I was going to play against my buddy who I know is also as terrible as me, we're probably going to have a good game, right? We're meeting our challenge point. So your challenge point is where you know you can surpass it, but it's difficult. And that's what keeps you engaged. And before you know it, that putting our practice actually becomes enjoyable and effective. And you might not even need to go to the drive range. And the good thing about that is there's more than 50% of shots, like, like I said before, are within 100 metres. So you're probably working on one part of your game you need to. And then by the time you get to the driving range, well, you've already spent a lot of the time uh, working on your game in such a manner that is going to translate out onto the golf course straight away. And then let's say you've got 20, 30 minutes left to go work on your actual swing. Well, then that small bucket of balls is not wasted because you go, well, I need to make these count. I need to go through that process. I need to have my rehearsals. I need to listen to what the guys on, on YouTube said. So we make sure that, <laughs> make sure that we're, uh, we're not going to get too frustrated. And you go about and they work on that. And that would be an effective practice session. So it doesn't need to be long. It's about ensuring that you're covering all bases, get an understanding, know yourself as a player, what you struggle with, what you're good at, and then create a bit of a plan before you actually head down to the range rather than just getting a large bucket of balls, hitting it as quick as you can and leaving exhausted and angry. Love that. Yeah, simple, simple stuff. I think it's real good advice. And I think the one thing, again, you mentioned, again, we're talking back to expectations. I think it's really important that golfers go to the range and they expect it to be bad. They don't just yeah. think, well, I've got to practice these things today and it should be good. I mean, there's times when we've got somebody on the range and they hit a terrible shot and we're going, great swing. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it's like just to condition them to go, well, this is okay to hit bad shots. You actually produce a good movement that we want there. That's the, that's the work that you're doing. And I think, I mean, so some people hit it great on the range and, and terrible on the course. I'm the opposite to that. I hit it terrible on the range and then great on the golf course. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, do. I, don't, I do not hit it. I don't hit it good on the range. Um, but I'm okay with that. Demonstrations for your exhibitions must be a nightmare. 
<laughs> but it is this is where the thinking comes in and this is where you can just get you know you're changing things all the time and then when you get on the golf course you're more intuitive and you're playing the game and things like that but I think just having the acceptance that okay look it might not go exactly how I want it to do I might hit a few ropey shots but I'm putting the work into the motions three to five practice things that you're saying there which is is important so it's just yeah it's interesting it comes back to expectations there and mm. um, you obviously touched on putting, which is good. We wanted to touch on that. And you've talked about some games, which is, which is great to gamify it. Um, this is slightly, slightly I'm going to go down a slightly different tangent with this one, because as golf coaches, you sort of would like to, to create the ideal. You know, you think, okay, well, golfers should do this and golfers should do this. But often what golfers should do and what they do is, is totally removed. Um, mm. Now, let's say we've got a golfer who um, plays every week, loves the game, doesn't really want to invest too much time to practice, um, but he would like to be a bit better. What are the quick wins that he can or she can do on the golf course um, in terms of putting that they can really work on out there in the golf course? They don't really want to dedicate too much time, but what are the quick wins that you see that they can implement on the course to actually make some progress with the putting? Okay, so the, the three main skills to develop in putting, uh, green reading, start line control, so getting your ball started where you want, and then distance management. So to ensure that you're not hitting it 20 foot past or leaving it six foot short. So what precedes all of that is green reading. It's the very first thing that you do when you obviously approach the green. So most players, once again, don't pay enough attention to that part of the, their putting. And they go look straight at their stroke and go, why is my stroke wobbling? Well really doesn't matter. Like it's a flat edge and it's a round ball and the hole is not that far away. You shouldn't be taking six shots to get it in. It's because you're focusing on the wrong thing, right? So in terms of improving your putting, I'm not sure how you guys teach, but the easiest thing is to find what's called the straight line or the straight part. And the straight part is a part, if you do a quick assessment of the green and podcast is a little bit hard to describe this, but there's going to be a high point and a low point. So you imagine that if you were dropping a bucket of water on the ground, where would that, that water roll? And then effectively that would be the downhill slope. What you want to do is you want to walk on that downhill slope until you look at a putt that's about six foot straight up the hill, right? So if you can imagine you've got a six foot putt and we know it's a left to right breaking putt, you're going to walk around in a semicircle fashion until it's straight up the hill. And what that does is that's called shifting your perspective, right? So shifting your perspective, very similar to if you're an airplane and you fly over a mountain range, you can't see how tall the mountains are. But if you fly next to it, you can. So by simply shifting your perspective, you build a greater awareness of how much that ball is going to be affected by the slope. And even though you don't have to consciously think about it, the more information your brain takes in, the more of a better guess you're going to have when it comes to reading the part. Now, that might seem um, a bit basic, but what that does from a standpoint is that let's say you've got a very undulating left to right part. You stand on top of it. You don't even read it. You're going to aim straight and intuitively, you know it might break a little bit, so you hit it a little bit harder in the hope that it stays straight. Well, the harder you hit it, gravity has less of an effect to get the ball dropping in the hole. So it's more likely to lip out. You're also more likely to three putt. So my advice when it comes to putting, go find the straight putt, see how far away your ball is from that straight putt. And then from there, you'll decide if it's going to break a little or a lot. And when you're putting, instead of thinking about trying to hole it, think about the hole as a disc. So the disc that you want your ball to stop on. 
very much like lawn bowls where you want to roll the ball and get it stopping as close to the jack as possible, right? You want to do that in putting. Your objective is to not one putt everything. It's about to get the ball as close to the hole as possible, similar to when you tee off. You're not trying to get it in the hole, even though that would be a great result. You're trying to get it as close to the hole as possible. And in putting, a lot of players neglect that. They try and hit it into the hole. And by doing that, all of a sudden, you've got a three-foot putt back. Now, they're the ones that start to knock your knees and get you frustrated. And before you know it, you're not taking any time on the putting green and you're having too many putts. Brilliant. I like it. Yeah, I think, you know, over the years, I think myself and Pierce have certainly not shifted. Well, I'll say, yeah, we've probably shifted away from the technique side of things a little bit more on the putting because we're, we're like, well, the improvements can be made so much more and actually reading the greens the golfers generally first of all they don't practice reading greens they're working at their stroke and as you said they're saying oh my my back swings very wobbly what should i be doing and actually if they could spend more time doing those things out there on the golf course and getting some feedback and understanding i mean most golfers don't aim anywhere near enough break because they haven't practiced it they haven't got that awareness and i really like the uh, the disc analogy there instead of actually trying to hold it getting it to sort of stop on the disc i think is a great way and to do that they're going to need to probably allow for a little bit more break as well in terms of that speed. Um, but certainly for us over the, over the last few years. Yeah. As, I, a, as a, let me just add one thing to that has a compounding effect. The, um, that the more break you allow intuitively not going to hit it as hard. So the green reading is the most important part of this whole process because it sets up your start line and then also your distance control. And just going back to the whole ego factor is great parts can finish short. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not that you dropped your handbag if you left it in the front edge. That's fine. <laughs> a two parts good. You're good. Yeah. yeah. And, and and as you said, unless you, it's like you know, we just did an event on Friday, and I asked them how you know well, how are you going to read this putt, and you know what what are you going to do? But when someone if someone else asks someone else, what do you see in this putt? It's like well, that's a, you need to tell them how hard you can hit it as well as part mm-hmm. of that equation. So often people will help someone out with a line of a putt and say, "Oh, it's left edge." Dependent on what though? <laughs> what about if there's a difference in how they uh, you know the pace that they put at? So yeah, I think there's, there's like you say, get the green reading sorted and then start line and then distance control. It's the best yeah, way. I, I think to sum that up as well is uh, if we were to really simplify it. And if we were going to simplify hitting shots into the green, I would say aim for the back edge. And if you're going to simplify putting, I would say overread and underhit. Overread putts as much as you can. We, we will often talk about double the break. You know, if you actually own a putt and if you doubled the break, actually, that's probably going to leave you in pretty good stead. Great minds think a lot. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Um, I think we've, we've done. We've got some great things. I think carried. I wrote quite a lot of notes down here for the guys. I mean, I hope, really hope they've been taking notes of this or they listen to it again. Expectations, realistic rehearsals, um, concepts, which are really important. You know, I think it's so important for people to educate themselves and understand what should be happening. They can check your videos out and our videos out to, to start to build up this right image as well. Um, aim for the back of the greens. Shift your perspective on the puts. And overread and under hit. I think there's some real gold there that for, for me that sort of when going through some of the questions that I wanted to make sure that people could could really leave this podcast with some practical, useful things that would make them better. And I think we've certainly hit quite a few things there that, that, that would do that. Um, 
Can, so, yeah, so thanks for that. Really, really good. Can, can you actually read those bullet points? I can read them. I, I he can't no, read them. I, it's fine. No idea what that is. You don't need, you don't need to read them. <laughs> he may as well read uh, Japanese. Is that because you can't read it or you can't write? Which well, one? Well, maybe one? a bit of both. No, it's, it's, it's definitely I can't write, Karen. It's definitely I can't I wasn't very good in school. Um, right, we're going to finish with a quick fire then if we can do. All right. Uh, best golf advice you've ever had? Best golf advice I've ever had for personally? Yep, yep. Learn how to coach. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, best golf advice I ever had was stop spending so much time on the range and go out and actually play the game. Like it, love it. Worst advice that you hear? Worst advice that I hear? Anything from one friend told to another that they think they should do, looking at effects. So <laughs> there is as many as you would like to list and yeah. they're all the cliches. Um, we all know them. Keep your head down, keep your left arm straight. It's like, I broke my arm. There's a bit of blood. Let's put a bandaid on the blood. Well, the issue's still there, right? Yeah. So, and it's once again, your perspective of what you think you're looking at. It's a lens that you view it through. And just because someone's got a lot of money doesn't mean that they're great at looking after that money. Just because someone's fit doesn't necessarily mean that they're always healthy or they know how to get that stage or coach it so when it comes to the advice that you'd be looking for just look for a reputable source good i like it what would you change about golf what would i change about golf i would make it I would make it far, I want to change golf. If I could change one thing about golf, I would make it a lot more relaxed. Um, I think one thing that I try and do in my golf coaching practice is remove the barriers for people feeling like they're under the microscope and feeling that they are being judged at what they're doing, right? And I think golf has a bit of a stigma still around it of just being a little bit too stodgy, to be honest. And I think the more relaxed it is, the faster the game is, the more enjoyable for everyone. Like, to be honest, I played one of the very few rounds that I do in a year today and it took four hours and it was still too long. And I was enjoying being out there with the guys and having a good time. And it was a very relaxed atmosphere and it it was great. But I think if it's if it's a little bit too down the line in regards to a couple of things, um, I don't think that's going to serve it going forward as much. I feel like we're getting there. I think we're moving closer to that, the, the game of golf. So yeah, yeah, I think, it's, a I think like it's going great. Yeah. yeah. Good. Uh, what's on your golf wish list? Golf wish list is to go and play uh, Cypress Point in Pebble Beach. So I'm going to head back there in... Uh, February or March. So hopefully for some reason, I might walk around Carmel for about 10 hours and try and ask everyone that walks around there if I can get a game there. Uh, play Cypress Point. And I would say that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Pretty good, uh, pretty good wishes. What's, what's on yours? What's on yours? Well, it was Pebble Beach, but we played there. We played there in May. Um, I think... Oh, well, you're done. You can quit now. <laughs> exactly. I think the wish list for me, well, the first thing that comes to mind for me, is to be at the be at Augusta with Aaron. That's that's like um, 
it's a it's a little bit of a personal one, but it's it's a, it's again more a little bit for him as well. Like to get to be at the Masters with Aaron walking walking the course would be would be incredible. So um, yeah, that's probably that's probably I think that's top yeah, of the I list. Ryder Cup, Ryder Cup as well. Yeah, that'd yeah. be nice. Yeah, yeah. We'll don't get greedy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Last one. Um, what are three golf truths? Three golf truths. Three golf truths. The first would be uh, the ball only cares what the club face is doing. You don't have to have a sexy swing to get the ball in the hole. And practice. If you look for the quick wins in practice, you're going to be struggling for a long time. Mm, nice. Three good truths. I like them. Answered by a golf coach, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Carrie, look, thank you so much for, uh, for, for jumping on and uh, sharing some of that. There's some brilliant stuff there. It's great to make some notes. And I think they've just got some good things for the guys to, to instantly take away and apply that can actually make a big difference to the game. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, no, thank you, fellas. It's been, it's been an absolute blast. And hats off to you guys. You're serving a huge community there and you do a really good job. I appreciate, appreciate that. It. Thank you. Where should the uh, the guys find you? Where are you most active? Um, obviously, you're on Instagram. You've got a YouTube channel. How can they find you? Yeah, so uh, Instagram, all the social media platforms at Kerry Gray Golf. Got a website, kggolf.com. Uh, just launching a video membership there. And then YouTube channel as well, Kerry Gray Golf. So feel free to shoot me an email. If you've got any questions about what I've said, more than happy to help you. And uh, that's just at Kerrod at kggolf.com. Perfect. Thank you. We'll put some of the links in the description as well, guys. So make sure you go and check Carrot out and some of his content. It is great stuff. Very, very helpful. And uh, Carrot, yeah, thanks so much. And hopefully we can uh, do this again soon. And hopefully we see you again soon. It's been a couple of years, 2019. So yeah, yeah, some point we'll cross. We'll cross our paths again at some point, I'm sure. We'll go play Double Beach. How about that? There we go. Cyprus. We'll go play Cyprus with you. It's fine. Okay, let's let's do that. We'll make up the four ball. It's fine. (laughs) Well, you you come do that with me and then I'll just tag on for the Ryder Cup of the Masters. (laughs) There we go. Perfect. Brilliant. Thanks, Garrett. (laughs) Cheers, Garrett. Appreciate it. See you, fellas. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you found some great value in it. And if you did, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, let us know your feedback by leaving us a rating or review over on iTunes. And remember, if you want to go deeper and really improve your game, head over to meandmygolf.com and start your free trial and check out one of the many plans that are seeing incredible results. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to speaking to you next week.